It's the idea driven in Philippians 1.6 when he says, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ. That, that's a promise for you that when, when Christ saved you and made you right, He who began that work, because it wasn't you, it wasn't me, who by our own obedience to the law were saved. No, it was the mercy and grace of Almighty God seeing our inability. And so when He invades us and brings us and draws us to His self, because the Bible says that no one seeks after God, no, not one, therefore we must be sought after. And this is love, not that we love God, but God loves us and sent his son into the world when he pursued after us and saved us the bible says he will see it to completion you will continually progressively be sanctified we would like to welcome you to getting in the word with pastor Stuart guthrie pastor Stuart is the teaching pastor of family bible fellowship in early branch south carolina and he has been teaching through a series on the book of john we hope that you will join us as we begin getting in the word here is Pastor Stewart. Well, again, I've entitled the sermon Freedom Through Christ. Freedom is what everybody wants. Many don't have, even though they think they have. And many not know what freedom is. Now, we as a people of America have been given rights. We've been given freedoms. None of these freedoms have ever come, though, without a price. If we praise God for those that have served this country and fought for the freedoms and given their lives. And while we are free as a nation here in America, many are not in other nations. This morning I would like to suggest to you that while we may be politically free, free as a nation, free as Americans, we must, in order to experience true Biblical freedom become spiritually free. Listen, in order to have true, biblical, irremovable freedom, we must begin to look through the lens of our Lord Jesus Christ. There is only one freedom that can render this true, irremovable freedom. And that, my friends, is freedom that comes through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So can I ask you today, are you free? Truly free? If you would, turn with me to the 8th chapter of John. I know that we have worked through this portion of Scripture in the past, but as I thought about Genesis 22, I thought theologically it may be too heavy. And as I came to Galatians, I thought I'll jump into Galatians, but then it's theologically heavy as well, and jumping in the middle of a context that talks about law and, and grace, and, and, and could be quite confusion unless we approach that text within its context. And so I thought John 8 really encapsulates all of those passages in a very clear and concise manner. And so as you turn there, I want us to look at the passage together. Here in verse 31, I'm reading from the New American Standard. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed Him, If you continue in My Word, then you are truly disciples of Mine. 
And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants, have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say, We will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever, but the son remains forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. This morning I want to give you three main points that I think will be helpful in knowing and understanding true biblical freedom. The first thing I want us to understand is that you must abide in Christ. Secondly, you must acknowledge Christ. And thirdly, you must accept Christ. Before we jump into the text, let's look at the context of chapter 8 and what's going on before and after. Here in these last few verses, we've seen Jesus in opposition with the Jews. Chapter 5, verses 1 to 47, we see His opposition against them at the Feast of Jerusalem, where He then begins this process of healing and He heals the invalid at the pool of Bethesda. In chapter 6, 1 to 71, we see His opposition in Galilee when He says, Unless you eat of this flesh of the Son of Man and drink of the blood, you, you have no life in yourself. Could you imagine that statement? Eat of my flesh and drink of my blood? That would have been so offensive to the Jew. And in chapter 7, 1 to 10, or one, chapter 7, 1 to chapter 10, verse 21, we see His opposition the Feast of Tabernacles. And here Jesus in chapter 8, verses 20 to 30, He is speaking of two births, one being born from above, another being born from below. Jesus has told the Jews that He is born from above, that He isn't of this world, that the Father sent Him, taught Him, and remained in Him. And now in verse 30, we are told, as He spoke, many believed. The first thing I want us to understand in relation to true biblical freedom is that in order to have, to experience, to enjoy, to take away from that true biblical freedom, to live out that true freedom, first I want us to see we must abide in Christ. John 8.31 explains, So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. Jesus put out there really quick that true belief is one that results in perseverance of the saints. Meaning that your salvation, that your security is not based upon one time that you prayed a prayer or professed that faith, but rather a, a faith that has resulted in a progressive living out that faith. We know that those that walked away were not of the faith. Listen, as good as it may have sounded, the fact that they walked away, the text of Scripture says they were really never of us. Jesus is dealing with the Jews that profess to believe in Him. But believing about Christ is not the same as believing in Christ. Listen, the reality is millions and millions of people across the globe believe certain facts about Christ. 
But there's a big distinction with believing about Christ than rather believing in Christ. These Jews are claiming to be believers in Jesus Christ. Verse 30, Jesus is finishing up with the contrast about heaven and earth. And it says many of the Jews believed. But it's like Christ is not simply taking them at their word. I mean, have you ever done that as you're out in the highways and byways of your life and you share the gospel with someone and they say, oh, I believe in Jesus. And yet they have no walk with Christ. Profanity flows from their mouth. Vulgarity in what they watch, in the lifestyle they live, and habitual sin. Listen, it's almost nauseating because we don't have the benefit that Jesus has. We are not omniscient. We can't see the hearts of mankind. But Christ, I want to remind you, He knows every exact detail of your life. What you think, what you say. And here He is not taking them at their word. He, I believe, is speaking here of the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. It's the idea driven in Philippians 1.6 when he says, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ. That, that's a promise for you that when, when Christ saved you and made you right, He who began that work, because it wasn't you, it wasn't me, who by our own obedience to the law were saved. No, it was the mercy and grace of Almighty God seeing our inability. And so when He invades us and brings us and draws us to His self, because the Bible says that no one seeks after God, no, not one, therefore we must be sought after. And this is love, not that we love God, but God loves Loved us and sent his son into the world. When he pursued after us and saved us, the Bible says he will see it to completion. You will continually, progressively be sanctified. We call it progressive sanctification. Listen, I want you to understand this morning. While you may be free as an American, when you step into eternity, you may not be free in Christ. And if your life says otherwise, your habits, your lifestyle is a habitual walking and living in sin, then I want to remind you, it's one thing to proclaim it and profess it. It's another thing to walk it and live it. Because like I've said before, I think many know the plan of salvation, but they have no relationship with the man of salvation. Listen, true freedom comes from abiding in Christ. Being connected to Christ. And remember in John 15, He says, I am the vine, you are the branch. He who abides in Me, what bears much fruit. If you are not bearing fruit, you are not abiding with Christ. And if you are not abiding with Christ, then what does that say? You're dead. That's kind of stark and frank. But the reality is, if there is no fruit then you aren't abiding in Christ. Because He who began a good work will see it to completion. I wonder how many of us would pass the test of belief today. Listen, you know, my son says he can take me. I said, boy, you big, but you ain't that big. And I said, you're doing the easy part now. Right? Talking. 
Bud at Crawl the other day thought he could take me. Now, I do have a little weight advantage over him. But he's strong now, but he ain't that strong. Yet. <laughs> Listen. I, like I tell my son, you're doing the easy part. Now you're talking. And there's nothing between us but air and opportunity. There goes the air. This is one thing to talk to talk. It's another thing to walk the walk. To live out that faith. To produce the fruit of the Spirit in your life. To be an example to the world around you. To be an example to those most closest to you. Because listen, I can fool the people that aren't in my household. But ask my wife. Because she knows the real me. Isn't it always interesting we hurt the ones we love? Why? Because we are honest people with those we love the most. That's why so many marriages fail because you're thinking, how in the world did that marriage fail? They seem like the perfect couple. Well, they act perfect around everybody else. You know, we come to Sunday and we got our tie on. We look sharp. It's like Facebook reality. We, we only post what's good. Look at my life. So beautiful. When really we're, we wouldn't stand the test of belief. Look at uh, chapter 2, 23 to 25. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name. Observing his signs, which he was doing. But Jesus on his part was not entrusting himself to them. For he knew all men, because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. What is he saying? He's saying they believed, but they believed for the wrong reasons. That they wanted Christ for what they could get from Christ. Will you give me a blessing? Will you bless me with prosperity? Will you give me the, the, the physical things of this world? Will you, will you make life real easy for me? Lord, can you give me my best life now? I'll believe in you if my life is good. But we all know we ain't fooling nobody. That ain't the real world we live in. A matter of fact, we live in a world that is invaded with sin. And because sin has invaded the world, because Adam and Eve in the very beginning sinned against Almighty God, He told them from the day you eat, you shall surely die. And that day they died just as He had promised. Now, did they die physically? Of course not. They died spiritually. And sin entered into the world, and therefore we have pain and suffering and death, mourning, disease. You know, the very things we all encounter throughout life, like death. How many of us would pass the test? Listen, God knows the hearts of all, every one of us. Jesus was not convinced by the believing of the Jews in chapter 2, and I do not think that He is convinced by the believing of the Jews in chapter 8. And that's why He tests them. I, I, I'm, I'm always intrigued 
when the Scripture says, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that what? The testing of your faith produces endurance. And so let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be made perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That's progressive sanctification to when you stand face to face with Almighty God, you will be glorified. And so he gives them a condition here in chapter 8, of of being truly free. He says, if you do this, then you are this. Which we should be able to assume then, if we are not doing this, then maybe we are not this. Let me validate this for you. You see, Christ is omniscient. He's all-knowing. He knew what was going on in the inside of the Jews, and on the outside of the Jews in this day that we read about. And so Christ also, as well, knows what's going on in the life of each one of us as we come together this morning to open the Word of God and ask God to have His way with us. To transform our hearts. To give us eyes to see, ears to hear, so that we might respond in faith to the hope of Jesus Christ. Scripture seems to confirm That those who are obedient are truly His disciples. Remember in 1 John 2, 1-6, John points out to the fact that these things are written so that what? We may not sin. But he says, if you do, which you will, because there is only one perfect, that is Christ, then there is Christ who was and is the propitiation not of only our sins, but also the sins of the whole world. Uh, He died for all man's sin. John points out this reality. And then he says this in 1 John 2, 3 and 6, but by this we know that we have come to know Him. If we keep His commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. So here we have this ideal of law and fulfillment of the commandments that if we are truly born again, we will walk in obedience, in righteousness to the Lord Jesus Christ as He is our example. Now I think we can all come this morning and go, we've failed pretty miserably at that. And if you haven't failed, then I'll sit down and you can stand up and preach. The reality is, as I think we can all agree, there is only one perfect. We have an advocate. Notice it's not the process by which we are saved, but rather the effect of our salvation. It's not the proof of our salvation. I mean, it is the proof of our salvation. Good works, I'm here to tell you, are simply a byproduct of what God has done in your heart. Matthew 12.50 says, For whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven, he is my brother, my sister, and mother. John 14, If you love me, you keep my commandments. 
John 14, 21, He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me, and I and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Listen, we can't fool God. We can act spiritual. We can talk spiritual. We can pretend to be spiritual. We can pretend to be something we are not. But in due time, that which is in you will come out. And will be made known in the light. Because the light always exposes the darkness. And we will all be made known. Whether in this day, or when Christ bursts through those clouds. All will come to light. So he was not misled by the Jews that claimed to be believing Jews. And He is not misled by us today that claim to be in Christ, claim to be Christ followers, and yet walking around like wolves in sheep's clothing. God is an all-knowing God and He knows the hearts of every single soul that has ever walked and will ever walk the face of this earth. He knows the things that we do not know about others. He knows the things that we do while we're alone. He knows the things we think about in our minds. the activities we do within the confines of our private spaces. He sees the lifestyle we live. Listen, this passage of Scripture will mess you up. And what I mean by that is if you are walking in habitual sin, this will mess you up. Because what it's doing is exposing to you what nobody else knows. Because if you're living in habitual sin, you cannot help but think about that sin you are living in private. And as a nation, let me tell you, we've stopped living in private sin. We now boast in sin. And we say, oh, it's okay to have this kind of lifestyle. Or this kind of lifestyle. I don't even think I need to go into the details. Because we all know that the Scriptures are very clear. Now we live in a generation that calls good evil and evil good. But nevertheless, we need to be reminded God knows all of the details of our lives. While works don't save us, listen, they should shake us as brothers and sisters to conduct our lives in a way that honors God. We do it out of love. I'm a child of God. And when I fail, I I repent and I say, God, forgive me, that was really foolish of me. How dare I do that? How, As a Christian, how can I live that way? What ought to frighten you is if you can live in sin and never have any conviction in your heart. Because the Bible says God, the Father, disciplines those He loves. And so if you are living in sin, and you only know that, I don't know that, but nevertheless, and God doesn't discipline you, the Scripture says you're an illegitimate child. That's scary. So if there's no repentance in your heart, you can just sin and no problem. God will forgive me. right? I can just do it and no problem. That ought to scare you. So He calls those of us 
who claim to believe, to, to abide, to continue, or to remain, or to hold fast. John 8.31, so Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed Him, if you continue in My Word, then you are truly disciples of Mine. He knows their hearts. He knows what they're doing in their lives. And so He, he calls them out on it. Right? And really, He's calling out you and me on it this morning. Because the truth it is timeless. The believer who is committed to abiding in Christ and His Word is to be considered authentic. A, a, a true disciple, a follower of Christ. Notice I said committed, not perfect. Again, it's not about perfection, but direction. And the question is, are we headed in the right direction? Is there even a, a, a progress? Well, let's start. Is there sanctification at all? Because see, listen, we all enter this world, Psalm 51, 5 says, I was born in sin, I was born into iniquity, and therefore we are all born equally children of the devil. We must become children of God. That's why it says whoever believes they, that they get the right to become children of God. And so as we are born in this world, sinful, stained, separated, and intimate with God, because Isaiah 59, 2 says, our sin, our iniquities have made a separation between us and God, then the reality is, if we are truly authentic, then we will be repentant when we live in sin. It's not about perfection. It's about how you respond in the midst of your sin. Does Almighty God convict your heart? Because I think we have a nation who confess Christ and live like Hades. Listen, it doesn't take but one stroll through a few chat rooms, through social media's accounts, to see the confusion that has obliterated the modern day Christianity. There's so much Eastern mysticism that's invaded the Word of God. And we would do well just to kick and get rid of it. Call it what it is. Idolatry. Man-made knowledge. Listen, we must abide in Christ. In His Word. Because if we have failed to stay connected, if we fail to remain and continue, abide, we will fail to show true conversion. Listen, we're not saved by what we do, my friends. We are not saved by whom we know, my friends. We are not saved by being a good person. We live in a culture that says, oh, the Lord will forgive me. It's okay if I just do it once. I can just do this and God will look past it. Read the Bible. He didn't historically do that. What makes us think for one second He's willing to do that today? Yes, while that is true, we should take the grace of God and misuse it? Of course not. Should we, should, we, should we say, oh, I sinned, grace may abound more and more, so therefore the more I sin, the more grace is, is implemented into our lives. Paul said, may it never be. And the reality, the stark, scary part of it is this. In Matthew 7, 22-23, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in Your name? Did we not drive out demons in Your name and perform many miracles and then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you depart from me, you evildoers. I mean, could you imagine? Have you ever prophesied in the name of Christ? 
Have you ever driven out demons? Have you ever performed miracles and wonders? They did. And God said, depart from me. I think they would have been pretty secure in their salvation. But see, they missed it. They thought they they were saved by keeping the law. Listen, if you could be saved by keeping the law, Galatians 2.21 says, Christ died needlessly. My desire is that no one ends up on the wrong side of the line. Listen, you are going to die or Christ is going to return. That's not the question. The matter is, what side of the line do you end up on? Because He is coming here or you're going there. The question is, where do you end up? I want to see people saved. I want to see people born again from above. I want to see Christians having a victorious Christian life. Walking in daily repentance. Believing the Gospel for what it says. Walking by faith and not by sight. With true conversion. Not some book that says five steps to your best life now. I'm talking about true freedom. That only is found in one place and it's the person of Christ. This world will offer you freedoms, my friends. While it packs up the bunkers with bombs, ammo, because we know very clearly freedom is not really true freedom. You think you own something? Let them need to put a railroad track through your property. You thought you owned it. I remember when I was working at Malfurs and all those people on 278, or yeah, no, uh, 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 what's the road that goes into Buford? 170. And all those people lost their front yards. Why? Because they had to build a road through there and they weren't very happy about it. L- listen, you will be offered all kinds of freedoms. But true freedom comes in Christ. We don't need to be believing like those Jews in chapter 2 or here in chapter 8. We simply, with simply head knowledge. Listen, when you abide and believe in your heart, you become free. Many for the first time. Jesus Himself gives us a short commentary on the meaning of freedom. And so we see that we are free when we sin no longer rules over us. You see, when you're born in this world, you're born in sin, and you are, your disposition is towards sin in everything you do until He gives you a new heart, until He makes you right, until He justifies you, until He regenerates you, justifies you, declares you right before Almighty God. Because He who knew no sin became sin on your behalf, that what you might become the righteousness of God in Him in Christ. So the reality is, is we need to make sure that we no longer allow sin to rule over our lives. We're no longer as Christians, as born again from above, those who have put their faith in the work, person and work of Christ. We are no longer slaves to sin. And if the Word of Christ dominates our hearts and our lives, that person is truly free. Listen, freedom is not when you can do what you want to do, 
but when you are able to do that which you know you ought to do. That's true freedom. You see, before Christ enters your heart, you, you can't do that which you ought to do because you don't know what you ought to be doing. But when the Holy Spirit comes and takes up residence in your life, He begins to convict you and you begin to dwell up in this fruit of the Spirit in love and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and self-control and all of these other aspects of life that we know in the last days will be fought against. Now, my friends, true freedom is being able to do what you ought to do because apart from Christ, you can't have a life like that. I was talking to someone yesterday, and I won't say their name, but they were dealing with some things, and they made the comment that I handled it better than I thought I would have. Because I wouldn't have handled it that way in the past. Why? Because when they are saved, they're changed. Not that they handle it perfectly every time. Right? But that's the idea. If you abide in Christ and His teaching, then verse 32 says, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. And that's why the Scripture says, sanctify them in thy truth. Thy word is true. And that's why it says in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. You want true freedom, it's in Christ. You can't buy it. You can't borrow it. You can't earn it. True freedom comes from a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, which is the work of Almighty God. And we ought to rejoice in that. Because if I could work my way to heaven, I would be standing up here with a gold medallion around my neck so that I could brag to you about how good I am. You say, no, that's not true. Well, no, it's true because we give trophies to kids who haven't won anything today. <laughs> could you imagine the trophies we'd get if we could earn our way to heaven? Yes, we would. Listen, true, irremovable freedom comes from Christ. But not, not only must we abide in Christ, we must, to experience true biblical freedom, we must acknowledge Christ. We must acknowledge Christ for who He claimed to be. We know that in chapter 8, there are a lot of contrasts, opposites. So in verses 1 to 20, we have light and we have darkness. In, in, in verses 21 to 30, we have heaven and earth. In 31 to 40, we have freedom and slavery. In, in chapter or verse 41 to 47, we have children of God and children of Satan. And then in verse 48 to 59, we have honor and dishonor. And we're looking at the third one today, the difference between uh, uh, slavery and freedom. You can see that in verse 31 and 32 that Jesus offers true freedom. By the fact that Jesus is offering them freedom assumes that the Jews are currently what? The opposite. Bond servants to sin. He says in verse 33, they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants. And yet have, have and, and never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say, we, you will become free? We ain't slaves now, mister. 
My people is Abraham. I am a descendant of Abraham. I am of his what? Seed. Therefore, I am free. That's what the Jews say. The statement that the Jews made talking about never having been enslaved to anyone was obviously not political. They couldn't have been talking about they've never been enslaved politically. It was instead a religious statement that they were spiritual children of God who were of the descendants of Abraham. They felt secure in their salvation. Why? Because they were from the seed of Abraham. Here in verse 33... We read, we are Abraham's descendants. Literally, we are Abraham's seed. The Greek word there used for descendants is sperma. You can connect the dots. What is interesting about this word is that it is in the singular form. Not seeds, but seed. If you will, turn to Galatians. Here's part of the sermon I was going to preach. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 16. Listen to what he says. I start in verse 15. Brethren, I speak in terms of human relations, even though it's only a man's covenant. Yet when it has been ratified, no one sets it aside or adds to its conditions. Listen, a, uh, a covenant is a will or a will of testament. Basically meaning that when you have a will and you die, you can't ratify it, you can't change it. If I die and I have a will, it's like me speaking from the grave. Now, the promise... We're, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to what? His seed. Right? Go to Genesis. This was the other sermon I was going to preach. So we're just going to connect them all together. 21. God promises Abram. Okay, let's go to 15. We, gotta, we get it started. We might as well start from the beginning. He makes a promise, right? 15, He promises him three things. That He will make of him a great nation, right? He promises him land, and He promises him that He will make him as numerous as the sand on the seashore. His seed, right? Then you come to 21, He doesn't, well, before this, He doesn't have a son, so God tells him what? I'm going to give you a son through Sarah. And what does he do? He laughs. Are you crazy? How can an old man like me or an old woman like Sarah give birth to a son? Does God come through? Yes. And in verse or chapter 21, Isaac's born. And then God tests Isaac, remember? He calls him early in the morning in, in chapter 22. Now it came about after these things. God what? Tested Abraham. 
And he sent him up on that mountain to sacrifice the only son that could accomplish the promise that he made that he of this child would make of him a great nation. And so Abraham takes him up on the mountain to sacrifice his only son and God delivers him. And then we come to Genesis 22, verse 18. And then what does he say? In your seed, all the nations of earth shall be blessed. Why? Because you have obeyed my voice. Now back to Galatians 3.16. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say and to seeds, referring to many, but rather one. Now what's really interesting, Paul is a, he is a genius. This dude is, this dude is way above our pay grade. And we have to also remember that God, through the inspiration of the Spirit of God, is writing through Paul. So therefore, these are the very words of God. So God is really the smart one. But He makes clear that He is not talking about plurality of seeds because the Word can be used for many. But here, it's not being used in that way. And so to eliminate any confusion for us modern day readers, or even during that time, he clarifies and he does not say unto seeds, referring to many, but to rather one, the seed, and to your seed, that is Christ. Paul is arguing here that Jesus is indeed the only real descendant of Abraham, that He is the one for which the seed will bring about a blessing to many, to all of the world. The Jews were expecting salvation through Abraham. And they failed to see the need for the one true seed of Abraham. And that is Jesus Christ. So we see the promise of Messiah throughout all of the Old Testament looking forward to the coming of Jesus Christ and His work on the cross at Calvary where God abandoned heaven and became a man and dwelt among us, lived a perfect life, gave His life of a crucifixion where they nailed Him to the cross and He hung there and He said, For Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. To tell us God, it is finished. It is paid in full. And then He committed His Spirit and died. And He was buried in the tomb. But three days later, He rose again to conquer death, to prove He was who He claimed to be, Almighty God in the flesh. It was all a plan of Almighty God to fulfill His purpose through His Son that you might have life. But listen to me very clear. You must believe. You must trust in Christ. I can't do it for you. I can't do it for my children as much as I would love to. You must Personally receive Christ. Because when you die and you stand before Almighty God, you will be there alone, my friend. I 
I think it fits our day just perfect in the culture in which we live. People are looking to everything for their salvation rather than Christ. To justify themselves, their own decisions based upon what they would like to create. But listen, nothing new is under the sun, my friends. It's all been what we've already seen before. I love the Word of God, man. It is, it's, like, it's like stepping into a dojo. It just karate kicks everything that you think out of the water. It's beautiful. It's living. It's active. We live in a world that says truth is relative. They create truth. It's all subjective, isn't it? I remember being at Columbia International University a few years ago and one of the profs teaching that there was no such thing as absolute truth. I said, wow, dude, really? Are you even saved? You got all these young kids. I'm an old man. I, I don't, God called me into ministry when I was old. And here I'm in, in, in Bible college with a bunch of whippersnappers. And they don't know. They're, they're coming out of the room crying. Oh, you know, I mean, my faith has been shaken. And I'm thinking, dude, you, like you're killing these kids spiritually, bro. Are you, I, I'm, I literally ask, are you even saved? In the graduating class, he, he even made the announcement that Pastor Stewart, or Stewart at the time wasn't a pastor, Stewart doesn't even think I'm saved. Yeah, you're pretty accurate on that. Listen, we live in a world of post-modernity, of post-modernism, where everything is subjective. But not the Word of God. It is absolute. It is unchanging. It is, it is grafted together and twisted together. And thus, if you pull something over here, it affects this over here. And if you pull it over here, it affects it. It's all intertwined. The best interpreter of Scripture, my friends, is Scripture. Because God is He's a wise God. He is an all-knowing God. Listen, many times on many occasions I share my faith or simply talk to someone about spiritual things they say. And I'll just give you a couple of examples that just came this week. When I shared the Gospel with them, they would say, well, I grew up in church and I've been saved my whole life. What does that even mean? Like, we have to define terms. Like, you were born saved? I mean, what is the comment? Like, well, my mom and dad are a Christian, and therefore I'm a Christian. I had a professor who believed in household theology. That if mom and dad were saved, their children were saved. That's what the Jews were teaching. We're, we're descendants of Abraham. John's like, no, 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 no. It don't work like that. Well, Jesus was like, no, it don't work like that. Just an invitation of to a 4th of July party, a fellow told me he didn't have to come to church to have faith. Okay, you don't. You don't have to come to church to believe God, but the Bible says do not forsake the assembling together as many do. So if you want to be an obedient Christian, you need to come to church. Listen, we, we live in a time when people create truth and they create ways unto salvation. Listen, it's very simple. There is a personal responsibility by which God has allotted to you to respond to the gospel of truth. You can't rely on anyone or anything for your salvation other than Jesus Christ. 
and the Lord will judge you as an individual, and you will give an account. People come up with all kinds of ways to show they don't need Christ, but the Bible, the book that I study, has proven itself to be absolutely truthful and claims different. The reality is Christ is the only way. And that's why you can say here in Acts 4.12, there is salvation in no one else, for there's no other name given among men by which we must be saved apart from Jesus Christ. And that's why you can say in John 14.6, what? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He is not a way. He is not a good way. He is not the best way. No, 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 no. He is the only way into salvation. And that's why you can say in John 10, 4, I'm the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Listen, if you try to come in over the wall, you are considered a thief and killed on spot. At least if you come to my house. We don't ask questions. Dead people can't talk. Romans 5, 2. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into His, into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We must acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord, as Savior, as King, as the most valuable thing in our lives. Is Christ the most valuable thing in your life? Just let that permeate for a moment. Is Jesus Christ the most valuable thing, person, possession in your life? You know, I was convicted this morning. I woke up, cleared up my eyes, drank my bottle of water, kind of got some habits. And then what did I do? Somebody was texting me, so I needed to find out who was texting me. And then the texting turned into, well, what's going on in the world today? What kind of crazy stuff's happening? And the next thing you know, next thing you know. Now, how better would it have been for me? I can't speak for you. I can only speak for me. If I had turned over and said, oh, that can wait. Get my water. And they grab my Bible and say, "What? Because what? it's sitting right there." <laughs> I just chose something different. My priorities are off. How, do we love Christ more than our cell phones? Do we love Christ more than our social media accounts? Do we love Christ more than our spouses? Do we love Christ more than our children? Because listen, He must be number one. Doesn't mean we're always going to make Him number one, but when we don't, can't we just be honest with each other and say, we need to just ask for forgiveness and, and start over again tomorrow if He gives us another day. But we can move forward and go, that probably wasn't the best choice. I, I could have done this or that for the glory of God. He loved Him more than all. Listen, the Jews believed Christ here. But it was never enough to reach here. The biggest drop of six inches is from here to here. It's not enough to intellectually know. 
He must change your heart. He must give you a new heart. You must be born again from above. You say, well, I've got all these issues. I was born that way. That's why the Bible says you must be born again. Verse 33, and they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants. And have yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say we would come free? They said they had never been enslaved to anything. Now I think it's unlikely the Jews meant that they had never been politically enslaved to anyone because that would have been absolutely ridiculous. There, there, there wasn't a major power that didn't seem to enslave them. The Egyptians enslaved them. The Assyrians enslaved them. The Babylonians enslaved them. The Greeks enslaved them. Syria enslaved them. The Roman Empire enslaved them. What in the world are they talking about then? Well, I believe the Jews are talking about their spiritual, inward freedom. Though they thought they were spiritually free in Abraham because Christ in verse 45 expresses that He speaks the truth and they wanted nothing to do with it. Why? Because they don't believe. So Jesus, pushing a bit more, explains in detail just what He is talking about in verse 34. Christ begins to tell them what they are enslaved to. And so He says in verse 34, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. Now Jesus is not talking about politically, political freedom, but he is, he is talking about moral failure, a rebellion against God. This is simply the state of each man before they are eternally changed. Before they are born again. Before they are theologically what we call regenerated. We are all separated from God in need of a Savior. The great news is Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. And let me illustrate this for you. God sent Him, Jesus, this is Christ, this is you, stained, separated, enemy, separated from God, separated from Christ. He who knew no sin, Jesus became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. When God sees me, who, who does He see? Jesus, perfect, righteous, holy, not because I am perfect, righteous, and holy, but because I'm covered in the blood of the Lamb. Just like in the Passover. Listen, the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So the reality is, is this. We must be found in Christ. Because it's Christ by which we get our righteousness. By which we can stand in the presence of Almighty God. So, we are reminded of this great truth. That we are all separated from God. But we need to be found in Christ. These people were slaves to sin. They could not sin because they were not free. And the reason they were not free is because they were looking to Christ. No, they were looking to Abraham. To the promise that wasn't made to them, but that was made to Abraham that he, Christ, would come through his seed. And he would be the one that would offer to the nations that hope of eternal salvation in His Son, Jesus Christ. I can just simply ask you this morning, 
What is it that you are looking toward today for your salvation? Human logic, your efforts, your works, your deeds. Listen, you must acknowledge Christ for who He is because He is the one who sets us free from the bondage of sin. Romans 6.16, 6, Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as a slave of, for disobedience, uh, you are a slave to the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? When you are lost, you are a slave to sin. You must have your sins washed away. I'm not saying that you are saved by your works. Again, they are a byproduct of salvation. Scripture is very clear that... Well, look at Titus 3, 4, and 5. You need to memorize this one. It's a great passage of Scripture. But it's just a simple reminder. But when the... Titus 3, 4, and 5. But when the kindness of God our Savior... And His love for mankind. Let's break that down a little bit. But when the kindness of who? God. And our Savior. And His love for mankind appeared. You see, you were staying separated at enmity with God. Broken. And you need to be reconciled to God. And you can't do it in your own. And the verse says in verse 5, He saved us. Not on the basis of deeds which you've done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. Nothing to do with your works. Nothing to do with your righteousness. It is a work of Almighty God. So I'm not saying that you're saved by your works. We all know that we're saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. But listen to me very clearly. That faith that saves is never alone. It's always accompanied by faithful, walking, progressive sanctification. James says, you show me your faith without your works, I'll show you my faith by my works. Listen, we must abide in Christ. We must acknowledge Christ. But lastly, I want you to understand, personally, you must accept Christ. We have to make a decision for Christ. Because listen, everyone in the sound of my voice today has made a choice. You've either accepted Christ or you've rejected Christ. You can't be on the fence. There is no lukewarm Christianity. You're either for Him or you're against Him. You're either a child of the devil or you're a child of God. You're either of heaven or of hell. You're either of, of heaven or earth. You're, you're, you're the opposite of one or the other. You must accept Christ. Either we can be a slave to sin, living in what we want in our own lives, gaining and, and grabbing and living out a life that's contrary to the things of God, or we can become free and become a child of God and remain forever in eternity with Christ. You know, think about this for a minute. Every single one in this room will live for eternity. The question is where? Either heaven or hell. Now, if I asked a three-year-old or four-year-old, would you rather go to heaven or hell? What are they going to say? Heaven. Who wants to go to hell? But as an adult, you, you, you have to make your choice wisely. Will we be a slave to Satan or a servant to Christ? Verse 35, the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. Who do you want to be with? Temporal or eternal? With God? So if the son makes you free... You will be free indeed. We are no longer slaves to sin, 
but adopted sons and daughter of the Most High God. We who are in Christ are free. And never, ever, ever forget it's the Son who makes you free. The S-O-N. Romans 6.14 says, For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. The Jews considered themselves free. But they were not really free because real freedom comes only from the Son who makes them free. We must accept Jesus Christ as our source of salvation. Listen, He wishes that none would perish, but that all would come to repentance. He's paid the price. He's made the way. He's given you the access bridge for which you can now access God. You see, when you break in the law of God, which we've all done, the Bible says our sins made a separation. Man is over here. God is over here. And there's a chasm. There's a gulf. And there is absolutely no way in your own ability can you get to God. Not through morality. Not through good works. Not through deeds, religion, reading your Bible. Nothing can get you to God. No matter how hard you try, you can't jump that gulf. The question is, well, how do we get to God? Because that's bad news. Well, the Bible says not that we love God, that God loved us. So God has sent His Son as the land bridge for now which you can cross over, but you must go to God. For God has provided a way through His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, you may have been trying your whole life to be good enough, but I want you to understand you'll crash and burn right into the bottom of that chasm in a place called hell. Romans 8.2, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ has set you free from the law of sin and of death. You are no longer slaves to sin. Christ has set you free. Jesus is the one who sets us free from sin and death because He adopts us into His family, into His household as a child of God. And we are no longer slaves to disobedience, but children of God, slaves to Christ, slaves to obedience, slaves to righteousness. Not so that we can say, look at me how good and holy I am. No, because we are a child of God and we want to please our Father. But let me tell you, it's not pleasing to live a life of sin. So let me ask you, are you truly free? Free in Christ? You say, I'm free as an American? Yes, you are, but are you free in Christ? Because heaven and earth shall pass away, but the Word of God shall remain forever. Listen, true freedom in Christ comes with the price. Death was the price. Burial was the test. Resurrection was the proof. Jesus is King. He is the roadway to righteousness. He is the highway to holiness. He is the pathway to peace. And He is the gateway to glory. He is the way, the truth, and the life. So here are your options. Three options this morning. Maybe you simply need to put your faith in Christ for the first time today. If you never heard the gospel and you have never received the gospel, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Why? Because He's given you breath in your lungs. You've heard the gospel. Respond now in faith. Secondly, rededicate your life. Maybe you're a Christian. You say, well, I believe the gospel for certainty, but I haven't lived a life uh, that has honored God and I, and I need to repent and turn back to God. And many times in rededication, people are actually saved. But that's not my judgment call. That's between you and God. But nevertheless, rededicate your life. 
Stop living as if you're not free and start living as you are truly free in repentance daily, seeking after God's forgiveness. And thirdly, live out what you claim. Live free. Because if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Let's pray. We want to thank you for joining us on our program today. We pray that you are challenged, encouraged, and hope that you will stay connected with us for the weeks to come as Pastor Stewart walks us through the book of John. If you don't have a church home, Pastor Stewart would like to personally invite you to join their worship service at Family Bible Fellowship in Early Branch, South Carolina. They meet each week at 11 a.m. For more information about the church, visit them at familybiblefellowship.org. Thanks again for being with us and have a great week.